Maybe the sun gave me the power for I could swim like Lord. Well, hello and welcome to the Harmacast. I'm your host, Dean Martin, and we're glad to have you on the show today. Uh, coming up in a little bit, uh, we interviewed uh, Brandon Guyton from Crossroads. Uh, Crossroads, of course, is going to be on the uh, uh, Road to Harmony show coming up on the 24th. Only a week or so away, so uh, make sure to get to alexanderharmonizerspresent.com. Get your tickets for that show, or one of the two shows that day. And uh, Crossroads, Mayhem, and DeCapo are the three great quartets that are going to be there, along with the Alexander Harmonizers Chorus. If this is the first time you're hearing the Harmacast, make sure to get to harmacast.com and sign up for the uh, to have the show automatically delivered to uh, via iTunes to your Apple device or one of the other RSS aggregators to uh, the MP3 uh, player of your choosing. Good morning when you get to heaven and you're telling all your worries goodbye, goodbye. Open the gate, well, I can hardly wait for that great blessed morning. Gonna go and fly, I'm ready for that sweet by and by. Well, I'm excited to have on the call today uh, Brandon Guyton from Crossroads. Crossroads is going to be singing on the uh, Harmonizers show, uh, Road to Harmony, coming up uh, next week on the 24th. And so uh, Brandon, their baritone, has been uh, well-known around the society since uh, his uh, the gold medal win with Four Voices in 2002. And uh, Brandon has uh, coached the harmonizers a couple of times, so I know him as not only a great vocalist, but a great teacher also. So Brandon, uh, welcome to the Harmacast show today. I've listened to the podcast for a while, so I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, I think everyone knows kind of what Crossroads uh, was up to, up into the uh, 2009 International uh, Gold Medal win. Uh, maybe fill us in a little bit about what Crossroads has been up to since that time. Well, um, <clears throat> what we've been doing since the win was pretty much what we were doing before the win. <laughs> um, you know, fortunately for us, the <clears throat> because we had, were lucky enough to have won International before their other quartet, Competition was really, um, you know, it was something we wanted to do because we enjoyed singing on the stage, but it was a very low in terms of priority. Um, I mean, you know, we, again, we were thrilled to win and we wanted to win, you know, all those things that go that goes along with preparing for international, but it really wasn't a focus. So, um, you know, we've just been learning music, um, you know, we've, released our second CD, and we've already begun work, or about to begin work on our third and fourth CDs simultaneously. Um, we have a really, one thing we share is an insatiable desire for new music. Um, we, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a problem, actually, because we, we have more songs than we can learn or can sing, so we, we always have one or two new arrangements that we are working on, and that's the case now. We've got a new one from Aaron. Dale and a new one from David Wright that we just got last week or week, maybe two weeks ago that we're working on. So um, new music all the time. Well, when you say uh, you were focused on you know, the same things that you focused on before the win, uh, maybe give us some background. What was the impetus behind putting Crossroads together as a quartet? Well, um, <clears throat> it's, I'll try to give you the Cliff Notes version, but basically... All of our previous quartets, we had really sung together for quite a long time. People may not think of Four Voices as being a quartet that was together a very long time, but, I mean, we started singing in 1995, 
and we ended in about 2005. So it was about a 10-year run, and of course, Power Play and Gas House Gang um, sang together for a very long time, <clears throat> and Fred had been a long-time barbershopper. So we sort of knew, you know, what, what we would want the second time around, um, you know, just sort of had very specific things that we were looking for. Um, and we weren't, none of us were actually looking for, necessarily for another quartet, um, but it was just this perfect storm of events, um, four voices ended, and um, it was the same weekend that I was actually going to um, the Land of Lakes Top Gun School, and Mike Slamka was on faculty. So Mike and I have been great friends. We both had filled in with the Gas House Gang after Rob Henry passed away. So we became, you know, very close to Jim and his wife through that, that whole series of events. And um, Mike and Jim had talked about possibly singing together sometime in the future. And Fred and Jim actually um, had talked about singing together for years and years. They kind of grew up in barbershop together going back to when they were really young at Harmony University, just, just kids. So it was sort of a, you know, there was no plan to do it, but something they always said it would be great one day if we could. So. When our other quartets ended, and Mike and I got together, and we just started talking about the possibility of Crossroads, and you know, we just threw it out there and said, "Well, why don't we get together and sing a little bit and see what happens?" And and I think it was more about personalities and more about um, where we are, where we, where we are, or were in our lives at that time, having known what we wanted to get out of the next quartet, and it was just the per perfect fit. Um, so that's sort of what brought us together. Well, it's interesting to hear all that history. You know, I guess uh, for myself, it was like, you know, just all of a sudden Crossroads came out of the, uh, uh, out of nowhere with four, you know, former gold medalists. And then um, a couple of years later, you, you win. But um, um, in fact, a couple of years ago, and I just remembered this uh, last, the, earlier this week, is uh, you, you taught a uh, evening class at Harmony College East about how to put a quartet together. And one of the things you talked about was, to uh, make sure you know uh, each of the, uh, you know, have your goals aligned individually and also know the work ethic of all the people uh, that, are, that you're going to be in your quartet together. Pretty soon you're going to be pulled in different directions. So you guys each knew each other um, uh, in a couple of, uh, in other venues, you know, before you pulled, uh, pulled this together. Yeah, it, it very much was a, it, as I said before, competition was just not, in fact, this is true, people may not believe it, but we seriously considered not even competing, um, mainly because, <clears throat> I mean, competition, it's so rewarding in so many ways, but it also can be a drain in that um, if you overly emphasize competition, um, you know, I, I think it's unhealthy because you, you don't necessarily have balance all the time in terms of your musical selections or in terms of your rehearsals and rehearsal techniques. <clears throat> so, I, I mean, you know, competition was just a byproduct of everything else. At least that's how we viewed it anyway. So um, we we seriously considered not even competing, um, but it is a necessary kind of thing in our in barbershop circles, you know, just to get your name out there. And as I said, we enjoy it. I mean, just the, the process of, of getting up there and sharing your music with a large audience is always great. So, but it it's certainly, <clears throat> and that. But I think it's easy to, to sort of see four good singers and assume, which in some cases is true, but just to make an assumption that it's all about trying to 
win a gold medal or win this and that and the other. Tony DeRosa had a great line in the um, <clears throat> documentary American Harmony where he says, a gold medal and a, a dollar won't even get you a, a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And it's true. I mean, there are wonderful things that come out of winning a gold medal. But, you know, I woke up the next day and went back to work and no one cared. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was in uh, Philadelphia in 2010 when you guys came back uh, for your swan song. And the um, the one thing that I thought was really uh, powerful was... You know, when you included your families on stage and then opened up and the entire ambassador's chorus is behind you. And, uh, you know, I've heard each of you or saw in print each of you talk about the importance of family in uh, in your lives. So I uh, wasn't surprised to see uh, your family included on stage. But maybe tell, tell us why it was important for you to include the entire chorus in that experience. It was really neat. Well, just for that very reason, I mean... You know, the Ambassadors of Harmony, uh, and I've really come to understand that much more now that I've lived in St. Louis the last three and a half years, but they're just a family. Uh, it, it, it's There's no other way to describe it. To call it a chorus is just does it, is a gross understatement. Um, it, it really is a family. And it's, I think what makes this chorus so special, the Ambassadors so special, is, is just that very thing. <clears throat> but, um, you know... I think that was just sort of our show of everything that we hold true and that we hold dear, whether it be, you know, about our faith or about our families. And the ambassadors are certainly just a huge part of that. <clears throat> They're just, you know, interchangeable. And we were we were really happy to excuse me, I got a little frog in my throat here, to um that it all worked out. I mean, it was a logistical nightmare <laughs> putting that thing together because we have Fred's children in Florida and Mike's children and family in Florida. The ambassadors appear and then Jim and I. So there was really no way to actually rehearse it. Um, but fortunately, the Ambassadors of Harmony, we had our spring show just before International, two weekends before. So we flew all the, the Florida contingent up to St. Louis to perform it. So we kind of had a, a dry run. But, um, you know, the, the issue of family for us, it's, it's really – it's something that truly is uh, powerful in, in our quartet's lives. A lot of people don't realize this, but when Fred Farrell won, he had no children at the time. So his children literally have never known Fred Farrell, the awesome tenor from second edition, Fred Farrell, the barbershopper. He's been around barbershop his whole life, and he did have you know some short stints and other um, maybe slightly lesser-known quartets. But, you know, this sort of reinvention of Fred or reintroduction of Fred back into barbershop for him it was just about as much his children having the chance to experience the ride with him as anything else so it's been awesome you know for Fred's children between the ages of you know 16 and uh, maybe seven or eight as when we first started to really just rediscover Fred as a singer because <laughs> he doesn't sing in church he didn't really sing much outside of you know other in the shower so they've really come to know him in a completely different way and we're, we're really thrilled about that yeah well, that's that's really cool you you mentioned the geographic distance there uh what does it look like to uh to try to put the four of you together uh for rehearsals from time to time well unfortunately 
we do not <clears throat> actually rehearse in terms of uh, rehearsal weekends together very often. We try to do maybe um, the typical year. <clears throat> the last over the last couple of years, we would do spend our, our entire families, not just the four of us, but our wives and children. We would spend the week between Christmas and New Year's together. So we do quite a bit of rehearsing in that period of time. Um, but throughout the year, we only do one show a month, and that's it. <clears throat> and that's, you know, on purpose so that we can be home with our families. But when we do get together um, for that one show a month, you know, we have <laughs> we have our ups and downs with it. But we're pretty good about rehearsing and about coming prepared when we do get together. So we try to make really good use of our time, um, but we just don't, unfortunately have the chance to really just get together and rehearse. Uh, the only other opportunity that we do have, and this is some of the best rehearsals you can get, is is when we record and we schedule. As I mentioned, our second CD just came out, but we have eight more songs that we are in the process of recording now for their next two CDs. Um, one will be a holiday CD, Christmas CD, and then another just regular CD. So we get together, and we'll have weekends where we come, the guys come up to St. Louis. We record at David Wright's house, um, and that that always is great rehearsal. I wish we could do more of it. Well, I want to talk about recording here in a, a minute, but uh, I want to back up and talk about you mentioned the whole ambassadors uh, kind of family feel of things with that chorus. Uh, I know you know David Wright is like an integral part of that chorus along with uh, Jim and Jim and David of course have a long history together is that part of where the family atmosphere comes from Yeah I would say so I mean you know what's what's so um unbelievable about the spirit of the of this chorus of the ambassadors and particularly Jim and David is that is that everyone is just really on an equal playing field and what I mean by that is, you know, David Wright gets as much crap from the guys on the risers as anybody, <laughs> and Jim does as well. You know, there's no sense of just sort of reverence of, you know, there's David Wright, the greatest arranger, judge, <laughs> you know, coach, one of the greatest of, of all time in any number of categories. Uh, but he, he gets treated just as irreverently as anyone else. In a good way, in a, in, a, in a fun way. I mean, he's literally just one of the guys. Um, and it's, that's true of everyone on the risers. I mean, there's, you know, you look up there, you see Ricky Knight and David Ride and Jim and Vocal Spectrum. And, you know, there's some pretty, pretty high-powered faces up there. But the chorus is one of just viewing and treating everyone as, as being important and meaningful to the cause and, you know, truly about something more than just, you know, merits or contests or things. It, it's it's about something much larger than that. So it, it certainly does come from the top. I mean, it would probably emanates from Jim, but if you ask Jim, you know, Jim's going to say the vision originally came from David, and that certainly is true. Yeah. Well, speaking of David, and this just popped into my head, I remember the master's class that the ambassadors put on, at uh, Philadelphia, and um, I watched David run an exercise with the course where he took you up half steps at a, at a time up the scale and half steps down the scale, and he wanted to end a half step above where you started so that it's like expanding the uh, intervals going up and compressing the intervals coming down. And you know, I'm, I'm there thinking to myself, this is some quite a head game to uh, 
to play to uh, teach the chorus to uh, to always stay above the pitch. But uh, maybe, I don't know, uh, d- d- tell me a little bit about that exercise. I mean, musically or logically, you wouldn't want to uh, antifreeze uh, half step above where you started. So, well, uh, I'll, I'll start by saying this. Pitch for the ambassadors is so important. I mean, you know, I think everyone sort of thinks it is. Every, every singer, every especially in barbershop, every chorus, they like to think that they value pitch. But I think we take it to a new level, mainly because, again, David Wright, he's so hypersensitive to that. He's created a culture in the guys and in the chorus that just says there's only one place to sing, and that's on top of the pitch. I mean, there are nights when if we're truly matching the pitch, you know, it's a disappointment. So they want us to rise above pitch. But I think... The the so that's sort of the general philosophy, but practically speaking, um, singers. If you notice, uh, and you know, having been a judge and traveled around and done a lot of coaching courses, quartets, and hearing a lot a lot of cor- courses and quartets all around the country, you know, we, we don't have a, a sharping epidemic in barbershop. It's a, it's a flatting epidemic, and I wouldn't say just barbershop. I mean, singing in general. Um, so. I think it's as much about teaching the guys um, to sing on top of the pitch. It's it's it's, learn, it's teaching them a skill as much as it is anything else. It's trying to teach a guy, you know, how to shade pitches on a higher shelf as you come down scales. It's just it's sort of like you know it's a technique as much as trying to find space in the voice or trying to find matched vowels. It's just another way to help a guys' ears to train them to sing on top of the pitch. Because if not, you know, there are nights when we do struggle with singing flat. Those are not the fun nights. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a very important thing around here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember uh, David uh, taught the uh, was a coach for our retreat, the Harmonizers Retreat last year in 2010, uh, going into international. We had a weekend away, and um, he coached that weekend, and he just uh, he will not accept anything but uh, being a hair above the uh, the tonal center all the time. Is he's just uh, uh, I mean you, just, you knew it was the utmost importance to him and uh, job one as a singer on the riser. So that's it. That's it. Uh, but it was interesting. You mentioned the the uh, microtuning aspect there of that exercise. I, I hadn't thought of that. Being able to you know, teaching singers to hear those, uh, those shadings and the, uh, uh, the intervals between the, uh, half tones. So, uh, I mean, we, we all think that we, uh, we sing in tune until, uh, you know, until I record myself and listen back to, at those times, just a hair under. Right. So, well, pitch also is one of those things where it, it, it's really more about voice than it is ear because of the very thing you just said. Everyone assumes that they're an accurate singer. So everyone, on some level, their ear is telling them that they're singing on top of the pitch. So if you try to approach pitch solely from an ear issue of just trying to listen for a higher note and singing a higher note, then it's going to be a a struggle because, as I said, people already think and perceive that they are. So if one of the things that we really focus on is trying to approach it from a voice thing as well as the ear, because if you if you have a properly placed tone and this proper support and all of those other things, pitch is much less of an issue. Um, you know, so singing flat is the symptom. The fix isn't sing sharper. I mean, there there's a root cause of 
of the flatness. So what is that root cause? And that's how we sort of approach it. Um, it's not just that the ear doesn't hear that you're on the wrong side of the pitch, but the voice and the support is causing something, is causing you to be flat. So let's let's approach it from both angles, and that's that's the way that we look yeah. at it. Well, you've been into uh, Coach the Harmonizers a number of different times, and uh, I've enjoyed being there for several of those sessions. It's it's interesting to see the uh, the respect that they have for you as a vocal coach because uh, you you watch the email traffic a couple weeks afterwards, and they're quoting this and that about <laughs> what you've taught. That's scary. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it'd be great to just uh, spend a show sometime talking about vocal technique with you. But I wanted to spend some time uh, talking about the quartet versus chorus dynamic you know a lot of times uh, guys that are passionate about quartetting see uh, the chapter as uh, competing with quartet rehearsal time or it's not as uh, chapter meetings not as rewarding an experience as quartet so uh, so often the quartets in their home chapters are seen competing against each other instead of uh, finding ways to compete with each other. So, what are what are your ideas, or what are some ideas about ways that chorus and core quartets uh, in their home chapters can work together? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a tough one, and it's also a great question. You know, all I can say is is what my experiences have been, um, and what my experiences currently are with Ambassadors of Harmony. You know, it's it, it sort of answering that question is kind of like answering what's wrong with membership in the society. I think it kind of comes down to the same answer, and it's it's always leadership at the local level. You know, I, I think my feeling is anyway that a great leader, the the quartets will want to be in the chorus. The the quartet singers will find time to stand on the risers and and learn from someone who has something to teach. Um, if you come into St. Louis on virtually any Thursday night. And this is year-round, whether or not it's competition year for us or an off year. Um, And you're going to see Ricky Knight. You're going to see Tim Warwick. You're going to see Eric Dalby. You're going to see Johnny Maroney. You'll see myself. Uh, We're just there. I mean, if I'm in town, I have never missed – well, that's not true. I've missed one rehearsal when I was in town, and it's because I was really sick and actually in the ER, but that's going to hear and there. (laughs) But when our quartet guys (laughs) are in town – they are on the risers, and the reason is is because every time I'm there, I've, I'm learning from Jim Henry. I'm learning from David Wright. We're learning from each other. It is such a, a powerful, synergistic, if that's a word, environment um, that's just charged with learning and emotion and music that you want to be there. Um, you know, I think oftentimes I've seen that that's not the case in, in some cities and some core circles where the good quartet guys feel like they're at a higher level than maybe some of the chorus members, other chorus members, and the leadership isn't there to, to create a compelling enough environment to keep them. Um, so that's a tough thing. You know, and on the other hand, you have some guys who just, you know, there's family issues, there's time issues. I think the harmonizers is actually a great example of the very thing I'm talking about. I mean, Joe Cerruti is one of the best young directors, or just one of the best directors in the society. And the rebirth, the regrowth of of the harmonizers is, and not just Joe, I mean, obviously you had a strong core there, you had a strong leadership team, a strong board, but 
when you put that other piece in place, that leader that can inspire and challenge people on a weekly basis, I mean, the membership has exploded. So, you know, that may sound a little oversimplified, but to me that's it. It's just about great leadership and, and having something to offer people. You know, and they'll, and they'll come. They'll be there. Yeah, and what's interesting, you mentioned the analogy with uh, society uh, membership uh, numbers, but I've talked to a number of people about this, and my, my contention is, and uh, really the reason I joined a society in the beginning is, uh, you know, I love, to, I love to sing, but I want to, and I love to ring chords, but I want to learn to do that better. I want to learn and grow as a musician, and it's always been about that for me, looking for a chapter or a place that challenges me and and uh, allows me to, gives me the tools to uh, to learn and grow. But, uh, you know, I guess hearing it from someone like you, it's like, you know, well, you, you've already uh, you've already done all this stuff. You're multi gold medalist, uh, a great vocalist, already a coach, uh, and uh, a judge. And pretty much, I'm thinking, you know, what uh, you've already attained everything. What do you what what do you have to learn yet? You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, I'm not, I mean, I, I mean, I don't mean it quite like that. But uh, when some, I know, I understand where you're, where you're coming from. You know, I, I think. It's like this. <laughs> the whole no- we laugh. We have laughs quite often at some of the emails we've gotten through the years, and <clears throat> about uh, people suggesting that Crossroads should not exist because we we're a gold medalist before. And what are we trying to do? You know, trying to take over the world, and it's not fair, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, at its core, at, at our core, we just want to sing. You know, isn't that why we're all here? At the end of the day, didn't we all join barbershop? Now there's some people who, you know, just looking to get out of the house one night. But, I mean, I'd say, by and large, almost every guy who's ever joined barbershop, they did it because they just love to sing. They want to make music. They want to be something, part of something great. And, uh, you know, the ambassadors provide that. It, it prov- I'm a singer. That's what I am. I mean, any other label anybody wants to put on me is, is fine, but... I tell you what I am, how I view myself is I'm just a singer. I'm a musician. That's what I want. I want to be doing that. I want to be singing. I want to be making music. And I want to be doing it at a level that's that's challenging and that's uh, fulfilling, that's moving, you know, on a heart level. And the ambassadors provide that. So it's easy for me to be there. I want to be there, you know. I, I just, because, as I said, I'm a singer, and that's that's what I want to be doing on a Thursday night is, is singing. Yeah, appreciate that. And uh, I want to move in, into uh, Brandon talk a little bit about recording, uh, both in your debut CD and the pre-release clips for Lucky Old Son on your website. The one thing that stands out, stood out to me, is the uh, production quality, the the uh, the quality of the sound. Uh, you know, the temptation a lot of times is to throw a lot of reverb on the sound to make it uh, bigger or or to cover up. Uh, sync and vocal issues, uh, but you kept the sound fairly uh, fairly dry and and vocals right up uh, right up front, and it just has a, a crisp, uh, clear uh, quality to it that uh, that stood out to me. And maybe you could talk a little bit about your recording experience and what went into the uh, CD production. Sure. Um, well, basically, for me, recording is kind of my second love. Uh, hobby, 
passion, you know, slash time killer. <laughs> um, I don't do a lot of recording, actually. Mostly what I do is just the mixing, the editing, and the mastering part. The recording, I leave to other folks. I used to do recording, but my basically started in college um, as a member of the vocal ensemble, the Voices of Lee, where the four voices originated from. Um, I did a lot of live sound reinforcement and recording with the voices. Um, so I was involved in a lot of the recording projects, and that's really where I cut my teeth and just learned how to do all this. And then um, bought a small recording rig back then and you know did some learning tracks for just the local chorus there, um, but really got interested in it. And, um, you know, I Stateline Grocery was the first quartet that ever asked me to do just their full CD. So first CD I ever, and I did record both of Stateline Grocery CDs. So I recorded, mixed, and mastered their CDs. Um, I've also done, uh, didn't do any of the recording, but I did all the mixing and mastering um, for OC Times, both of their CDs. Uh, Stormfront, Fred, uh, I've done mastering on some mixing and mastering for Ambassadors, Toronto, Northern Lights, um, both Crossroads CDs. Done a little bit of stuff with Vocal Spectrum. Um, but, you know, recording is, is, is sort of like giving birth, you know. I mean, <laughs> you put so much into it. You put so much love and care into the process, and you wrestle with decisions like reverb and equalization. Um, at the end of the day, and, and it's funny you asked this question because I was at Harmony University this year, and for the first time I taught a, a class a, for a whole week on recording, mixing, mastering, producing barbershop CDs. Um, but, you know, it's sort of like, what are you trying to achieve with this recording? And the way that I always, I, I, I kind of have two questions. Now, of course, depending on the, the group that I'm mixing for, I, I obviously take into account what they want. Um, give you a good example, OC Times, they wanted a very dry product. I mean, very dry. They wanted it to sound as if you are, you know, right there in the room with them with little to no effect. And if you listen to the great majority of contemporary acapella that's recorded these days and mixed and mastered these days, and even on the radio, you listen to Michael Buble, some of his stuff, and lots of other stuff, it, it's, it's a very dry vocal. So they wanted to kind of match what's being done today on the radio and other genres of music, other styles of music. So that was very much what we tried to accomplish. Um, with this latest version of Crossroads, you know, it's this, this last CD, it's sort of the culmination of, of all of my experience. You know, every project I come into it, try to I have some templates in mind, but I try to come at it from a different perspective. And I personally feel like this was my best work. Um, David, we recorded the tracks at David Wright's house. He mixed um, three or four of the songs, and I don't remember which ones, and, and I mixed the, and the rest and then mastered the whole CD. But um, So I, I very much had a, a particular sound in mind, um, and that's what I tried to accomplish. And whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, I felt like I accomplished what I want, was set out to do. Yeah. the I mean, it's not a completely dry sound because at the end of, ends of phrases and so forth, you can hear uh, a delay, delay tail or a reverb tail or, or, or something in there. But And I'm not a smart enough mix engineer to tell you exactly what uh, what you did, but, but uh, I mean, the EQ and, and, and uh, whatever effects you use were just enough to to, uh, I mean, it was very, the vocals were very present. You could hear everything that was going on. 
and I just thought the production quality was was excellent you know, from what I was hearing. Well, thank you. I, I, of all the compliments I get, um, that's the one that means the most. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I said, it's because I put so so many hours into something like that. You know, uh, I would rather hear that than somebody say they like the way I sing. <laughs> I don't know why. How it feels weird. I'm weird that way, but. Um, I thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, you know, some of the specifics of what we did with this recording is, you know, and this, these are conversations that we had going into the, the mixing and mastering process, but I said, you know, what I want to achieve is I want people to feel like we are in the room with them with some, you know, ambient reverb. Now, there's some of the tracks, you know, there's there's different ways to sort of view the philosophy. You know, if you if you put the put our mix in either one of our CDs in a car and you're driving down the road, you may think, "Wow, those sound pretty dry." But you're competing with air conditioning noise. You're competing with road noise. You're competing with, you know, all of those things. So if the reverb in the car, if it has to be loud enough to be heard over all those things, to me, it's too wet. So I I always mix for the more high fidelity environments, you know, headphones when you're sitting there in a car or in your stereo in your house where there's no competing noise. And when you listen to it in those environments, then you, you hear plenty of reverb. But I wanted to sound like you could realistically picture us or hear us in this setting. Sometimes some of the, the CDs that have just way too much reverb, there practically isn't a single situation except maybe international contest stage where you would hear that quartet with that much reverb. So for me, I wanted to try to be more what I would call believable, just in terms of that you could really hear us in this situation. And, and I assume that you recorded with uh, separate mics on on each uh, singer. Mm-hmm. Yep, separate mics, four tracks, um, and then we we basically will record for every song that's on there. Probably about forty five minutes worth of singing goes into that to that one song. So, you know, we sung for about 45 minutes of, 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes just a little more, to, to, to get that one cut. And, and some songs like the, the doxology, that was incredibly difficult because we recorded the chorus portion first, then we recorded Crossroads over the chorus, then we went to Florida and recorded the kids, some of the kids there, on top of Crossroads and the chorus, and then came back here and recorded the St. Louis children, so and then mixed it all together. So it was a it was a monster. <laughs> it definitely sounds like it. The, I really appreciate uh, Brandon you taking a couple minutes to uh, talk with me today. Um, but uh, one last thing, I just wanted to ask: uh, either you can answer this as as a quartet or you individually. You know, you guys have accomplished accomplished so much in your lives at, to this point, barbershop wise or musically. Um, you know, what, what do you do to keep yourself, uh, individually or as quartet, uh, energized and uh, motivated and excited and moving forward? Uh, and what do you do to challenge yourselves? Well, um, <laughs> we, we just love, love, love being together. I mean, I know that's, that's cheesy to say and, you know, people may be overused, but we, we truly, truly enjoy every single second that we're together. And we enjoy rehearsing and, and just making new music more than 
well, almost as much as performing for people. I mean, we just enjoy the process of being with, with each other and just finding new things together. Um, we love, one of the things we're most proud of on all of our recordings is is the diversity of, of styles of music that we try to to do. Um, we We go after, and we try to go after it as authentically as we're capable of doing. So whether it's a, you know, a song from the 20s or a jazz song or a barbershop song or a gospel song, we really try to approach it from a very authentic um, performance standpoint. Um, but we, we challenge each other with just new kinds of music, new styles, new genres um, all the time. And we've got so many ideas. It just kills us that we're so far apart that we can't live closer together to rehearse more, to learn more music. Um, but it, I, I think that's it, just being together and what we're trying to create musically together, that's just exciting for us. I mean, we, we, I, I, I'm serious. We love every single second we're together, and it always, we always hate to leave and go home. It's interesting to hear you mention the the different genres because uh, the w- one of the uh, the first c- couple CDs that I purchased when I when I uh, found out learned about Barbershop was the Gas House Gang and that's what I loved about their stuff is the uh, diversity of uh, genres that they uh, attacked and and sang and uh, the nice variety and so it's great to hear you mention that also with uh, Crossroads. So. Well, I uh, really. Uh, Appreciate you spending some time with me today, and looking forward to seeing you guys on the uh, on the twenty fourth, and seeing what uh, what you bring to the show. Well, we have a new uh, David Wright chart that we will. It's not. We just got it last week, so it won't be ready for the show, and it might not be ready for the afterglow. But we'll definitely sing it. So <laughs> be sure to be sure to ask about it. You're gonna sing it whether it's ready or not, huh? Oh, that's how we do it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's how we do it. We get a song and we say, okay, two weeks, we're singing it on the glow. And, and come, it, it may be awful, it may crash and burn, but by God, we're going to sing it on that afterglow. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks a lot, Brandon. Have a great week. And, uh, hey, maybe we'll get a chance to talk to you again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. All right. Ed. Happy to do it. Thanks a lot. But be discreet. Don't go off your beat. She's too close for well, Thanks once again for tuning into the Harmacast. And uh, if you have not yet purchased your tickets to the Road to Harmony show coming up on the uh, 24th next week, that's not very far away. So stop over to AlexandraHarmonizersPresent.com. Click on through to ticket sales and uh, get your tickets lined up today. If you have any show ideas for us or feedback about anything that we do on the Harmacast, stop over at harmacast.com. There's a place there to leave feedback for any of the shows that are uh, online there. You can listen online or you can uh, just fill out the feedback form. Let us know uh, an idea for a show that you have or any feedback that you would have to present. And, uh, we'll be glad to hear from you. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time. There's a smile on my face for the whole